Courtney and I were sent here um, back in 2013. And I don't remember which year it was, but it was early on, like in the first couple of years. And, uh, and the, our former church had a big celebration. I don't remember what the year was. 50, 65, I don't remember what the, an, the, the anniversary was, but it was one of the bigger ones. And they made a big to-do about it. And we did that recently, a few years back. Um, and they invited everybody. I mean, former pastors, people that used to go there that moved away, you know, lots and lots of people, as, as we did a few years after that. And, uh, and the McKeevers were neglected. We weren't invited. And again, I'm not saying that so that you think badly about somebody. I just want you to get to the place of how sad I was. I was so sad. I was surprised by how sad I was. It was just an oversight. But we didn't get an invitation. In fact, the day before the celebration, somebody called me asking if I was coming. And it was just like a dagger to my heart. I just felt like on the outside looking in. I, I felt like, oh, I love these people and I don't get to be with them. That's what I want you to hold on to, okay? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? Maybe it's a group of friends that you really like, but you don't end up getting invites to lunch somehow? You always feel like you're kind of on the outside? You ever feel that kind of loneliness and, and uh, but wishing you were in some kind of group? Maybe you guys, maybe you feel that way in, in school sometimes, right? I mean, school kids can be mean when, they don't, when they're not intending it. When they're intending it, it's even worse, right? Um, but uh, maybe you felt that way. And then you grow up, you get older, and you mature. And uh, that's why, I mean, I felt really sad. I mean, I cried my eyes out that Saturday when that, that guy called me after I hung up with him. I did. And, uh, you know, but today, looking back, I'm like, come on. I've been gone a few years. You know, there's scads of people with different, you know, responsibilities. It was an oversight. Nobody meant to be mean to us, you know. Um, and so with the benefit of years, you can look back and you can, you, you can, you can see that uh, you, you can appreciate that this wasn't the end of the world, that I wasn't able to go to that party or I wasn't able to be at lunch with those folks or I wasn't able to be in that friend group or whatever. But to be apart from God, to not have Him, to be on the outside of the people of faith, to be divorced from that, it doesn't get any more serious than that. And people that are on the outside of a relationship with God, they too will have the benefit of years to think about being on the outside, but it will last forever. It will be the most terrible reflection of anguish. And so I am happy to announce to you something you already know. 
that God wants sinners to draw near to him. And that's the message of this first chapter of the book of Leviticus, that God wants sinners to draw near. And that's the message of hope, maybe in, a, in an unlikely place. So let's turn our attention to Leviticus chapter 1. This too, friends, is God's word. As much as your favorite portions of Scripture, this too, God speaks to us. Leviticus chapter 1, let's listen to what he has for us today. This is God's word. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring, uh, bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Almost done now. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of out on the side of the altar, he shall remove its crop with its contents, that is, its feathers, and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. God wants sinners to draw near. That's what I hope to convince you of from this text. If it's true, if it's true that God wants sinners to draw near to him, to come to him, to worship him, to commune with him, then for that to happen, they're going to need a mediator because of the sin problem. If God wants sinners to draw near, he's going to have to provide a mediator. 
we actually see two different kinds of mediators in our text. The first is Moses, the great prophet of Israel. We see him right at the beginning of the book, of the chapter. The Lord called Moses. You see that? He didn't call all the people. There wasn't a great assembly of Israel that all heard the Lord's voice, but rather the Lord called Moses the mediator. Notice also that the Lord initiated this meeting. Moses didn't go looking for the Lord. The Lord went looking for Moses. He called out to him, just as he had at the burning bush. Moses wasn't minding the sheep and went and looking for a burning bush. God initiated. At that bush, he he came to Moses knowing Israel's suffering and called him to, to spread his words to Pharaoh to tell him that the people belong to God. God initiated that meeting with Moses, the mediator, and said, go deliver my people out of bondage. And now, in our text, he calls out to Moses to instruct the people on how to approach him in worship. Because, friends, God wants sinners to draw near to him. And we see that in, the, in God providing a mediator in Moses. Think for a moment now about that process. At our point in history, in our privileged point in history, it is presumed, we, 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 we don't think much about it, this idea that God speaks to us. I mean, how many Bibles do you have on your shelf at your house? How many different versions? If this one falls in the mud, I just go buy another one. Or you can use the free ones online or on your phone. But friends, we have to start with this premise that that God was under no obligation to speak to us or our forefathers in the faith. He doesn't owe people anything. And so when he came to Moses, when he called out to Moses to bring a message of instruction to the people, he did that out of mercy. He condescended to speak to sinners. He graciously revealed his will to them so that they might know how to draw near in a way that they wouldn't die extraordinary when you think about it. That's the kind of God you serve. A God who reveals his will to you, who speaks to you. But it only comes through a mediator. And and the first one we see here is Moses. God wants sinners to draw near, and for that to happen, they need a mediator. They get Moses, but they get more than Moses. You know who the mediators are, the the primary one in this text, right? You heard it repeated again and again and again. The priests, they were doing things. The sons of Aaron, they they were participating 
<coughs> in the worship. For example, in verse 5 and verse 11, they're handling the blood of the sacrifice. The worshipers aren't taking the blood themselves to God's holy altar, but rather his priests are. For they alone can approach God's altar. Incidentally, it's not because they were like less sinful than the worshipers. It's not that they were a, you know, a different brand of people, somebody that weren't as, as wicked of heart or something like that. No, it's because God had set them apart. He had again initiated and determined how the worship would go. And, and there would be these sanctified mediators. Now, you'd have to do a little bit more reading, like in Exodus 29, to read about the consecration of the priests. They, too, had to offer animal sacrifices for their sins, and they had to, they had to do special washings and, and go through these, these holy rituals in order to be set apart to be the priests that would operate in the tabernacle of God. But in God consecrating those priests, making those mediators there available to be a bridge between the worshipers bringing animal sacrifices and the holy place of God, God made a way. God made a way for sinners to draw near. God made a way for the the sacrifice of the people to reach him. The priests and the people in making the bull or the goat or the pigeon uh, as an offering, the mediator helping them resulted in a worshipful aroma that reached the very nostrils of God in heaven. Think of that, friends. God is holy. He's other. He's in a class by himself. He is the blessed creator forever. We're mere creatures and sinful ones at that. But God made a way for sinners to draw near. Our ancient forefathers and mothers of the faith. God wants sinners to draw near. For that to happen... They need a mediator, but they also need a sacrifice. Now, the burnt offering is a, it's interesting. The priests offer a burnt offering each day for the people. But then people would bring burnt offerings just out, out of the overflow of the worship of their hearts. There was no requirement for them to bring a burnt offering. It was a permissible offering. And yet you see it happening again and again. And it's the very first chapter, the very first instruction. You cannot worship God apart from a sacrifice. Not in that day and not in this day. For the people of God, the Israelites, to come into God's presence to approach the tent of meeting. They couldn't worship him any old way they wanted to. They couldn't initiate worship 
of their holy creator, of our holy creator and redeemer. He initiates. He initiated with the mediators, and he initiates how people, how sinners can come to him in worship. He speaks. He reveals what is true and right and appropriate in his worship. I mean, God gave some very specific details. Can you testify? You heard me read it. You want to hear it again? It's really specific, isn't it? I mean, there is great detail here. This is God's holy instruction. People just couldn't bring any animal they wanted in any way that they wanted. They couldn't just run up to the altar and slam it on there. They couldn't do whatever they wanted. God gave these very particular means of approaching him. And that's because God is holy. And God was baking into the people's psyche, the the community's thinking that nobody gets to approach God on their own terms. He's holy. And to approach him is to approach him in the way that he instructs, in the way that he commands. Being in God's holy presence is no insignificant thing. And yet we take it for granted. Moses knew this really well. For when he went out up on Mount Sinai to talk to God, you know what happened when he came back down. Just from being in God's presence, his face shone so brightly, the people were terrified. The second-hand glory of God was so terrifying to the people that he had to wear a veil when he came down. Isaiah, when he was in God's presence, nearly went mad. The weight of his sin in the presence of a holy God. The way to approach God is by the means he prescribes. And in this text, we see that means is through the blood of a sacrifice. Not any sacrifice. Not any sacrifice. First of all, a costly one. A bull, perhaps? A sheep? Maybe even a turtle dove? I don't know if those things are are valuable to you, but they were valuable to the people of Israel. And the reason for the alternates being offered here is because what's costly is relative. If you had a great herd to take the best of the herd, that was a costly thing. If you have a little flock of sheep or goat and you need to take one of them and offer them, that's a costly thing. If you have very little, perhaps a turtle dove, that's your prized possession. And the reason for this alternatives, these alternatives is, as I said, they are costly, but they also reflect that God calls everyone to draw near to him. No matter how much money they have, 
or, or what their standing in society is, whether they're, they're some great person of significance or somebody that nobody even knows her name. All sinners are called to draw near to God because He wants them. He desires them near. God calls everyone to come to Him in repentant faith. It's why in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says there's, there's no difference among the people that, uh, of God in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither free nor slave, male nor female, people who own great herds, people who have nothing. I added the last part, right? Because that's the kind of God we serve. A God who wants sinners of all kinds to draw near. Your social status, your heritage, your wealth means nothing to the one who made and owns and rules over all of creation. To draw near to him, sacrifice is required, must be offered, not a lame or diseased one, not one with a blemish, verse 3 and verse 10, no, a costly one, as I mentioned. Why does it have to be costly? Well, friends, it is it is in substitute for the sinner. Who is the sinner? The sinner is one who bears the very image of God. Of such worth. No animal could ever really be in substitute. But if we're going to offer animals, it better be the best one. You get it? Because God's trying to put something into the hearts and minds of his people even way back in that day. That it's got to be something really, really valuable to be offered in the stead of sinners. It's a sacrifice for sin. Also, a sin against him the one of greatest worth. It's a sacrifice for daily offenses, for regular rebellion. You can relate to that, can't you? I need a sacrifice for all those things. It's a sacrifice for evil affronts against the Lord. Nobody can draw near to God without a sacrifice that will pay for all of those wrongs. And the manner of the sacrifice demonstrates the depth of the sin. Did you hear me? The manner of the sacrifice, the way in which the animal was presented and sacrificed speaks to the depth of our sin. Notice the violence in the text. Consider 
how it's described, the sacrifices. The language is downright beastly. Did you get uncomfortable as I read it? If you didn't shudder from the description, try to put yourself in the shoes of a man who leads a goat or bull and picture what would happen to it. Verse 6, the meat was flayed. Verse 6 and 12, it was cut into pieces. Verse 17, the bird was tore open by its wings. Referring to the pieces of the actual names of the animal being severed heads and legs and fat and entrails. Verse 8, 9, 12, 13, 16, it runs throughout the text. The word kill is used twice. The bird's head is wrung off from its body. Verse 15. And then all of the blood. That was what the priests were doing. They were taking bowls of blood and splashing it against the altar. The violence. The violence done to these animals speaks to the depth of our sin, the depth of our offense against a holy God. Put yourself in the shoes of the worshiper. You bring your, your, your animal and you place the, your hand on its head and you slit its throat. That placing of the hand is identifying with the animal saying what really ought to happen is I should be killed for my offenses. But in God's mercy, this animal's going to have to do the trick for now. God wants sinners to draw near. In order for that to happen, they need a mediator. And they also need a sacrifice. Not any mediator, the one God initiates. Not any sacrifice, the one that God prescribes. God wants sinners to draw near. And, and when the, this happens, when the sinner uses the mediator God provides, and when he when he approaches God with the, uh, uh, through the blood of the sacrifice that, that God requires, what then happens is sinners experience the blessing of a God who restores them. Taking the one that was far away and bringing him on the inside. Not crying and, and gnashing their teeth on the outside, wishing they were in the people of God. No, when sinners draw near and employ the mediator God initiates and the sacrifice he requires, they, experience, uh, experiences, they experience a God who loves them, who redeems them, who restores them to himself. The Lord desires to be with his people. And that means he's got to restore them to himself, for they will never come on their own. 
I've already mentioned that the Lord speaks to Moses first, right? He initiates. But where does he speak to Moses? What is he talking about? Look there in verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from where? Look at it. Your eyes in the book. The tent of meeting. The name of the tent showcases God's desire for his people to meet with him. The very name proclaims it. And not only that, verse 3, the offerings are to be brought to its entrance so that the people might be restored to their God. This speaks to God's desire to honor his covenant promise to Abraham. Way back in Genesis 12, I will bless you. The Lord is faithful to restore the covenant blessings to his people when they look to his means of grace. Restoration requires the justice of a holy God be met. That's why the sacrifice has to be there. But notice what it says when the sacrifice is brought. Verse 4, it shall be accepted for him. Verse 4, it shall be an atonement, a covering of their sin. And then three times in the text, 10, 13, and 17, God restores his people so that they're able to bring him joy in their worship of him. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. When men try to worship God in their own way, not taking sin seriously, not seeing their need for, for a mediator, that's a stench in God's nostrils. Because it's just wickedness wrapped up in self-righteousness that's being offered. But not so here. Friends, don't you want your worship of God to be a pleasing aroma to him? That's what this text speaks of. And so after many, many generations, the Lord brought to pass what this text promised, a mediator and a sacrifice, but not temporary ones. Moses died. Whatever priests were on staff, on duty, when Leviticus 1 was written, they are no longer with us. All of those animal sacrifices have been disintegrated back into the earth. Their blood is forgotten. And so what we need is a mediator who will last for all times. And we need a sacrifice that will permanently cover our sins. And we get it in the person of Jesus Christ. This text begs us to think of him. Turn in your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. 
first half of the chapter speaks about the tabernacle or the temple and the priesthood and all they had to go through. And then there's a contrast made in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the, bull, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Friends, we have a mediator. We have a mediator that far exceeds all of the past mediators put together. We have a great and high priest, an eternal one. And he offers not the sacrifice of things of this world, but he offers the sacrifice of himself. And that before God in the eternal tabernacle. And so he secures for us not an afternoon of worship, not a three o'clock time of prayer window. He offers us a restoration to God for all time without restriction. For our sins in him are forgiven and we are perfectly restored to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, God wants sinners to draw near. And in Jesus, he has made it possible. God wants sinners to draw near. What's the application to this really simple proclamation of the gospel? I've got four. You maybe have more. Maybe you've never drawn near to Jesus. Maybe you've never drawn near to God. Friends, young people, listen clearly to me. You, there has to be a day where you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ who died in your place and rose again. That's the only way you get God. That's the only way you get to draw near to him. It's the only way you get your sins forgiven. It's the only way you get to get to heaven and live with him forever and escape the punishment of hell. So draw near to him. Believe, place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you need to come back to God and draw near again. Maybe you used to be near to God, but you aren't any longer. Maybe you've been going through the motions for a long, long time. Maybe you're far from God, though you're in the people of God. Friend, the sacrifice of Jesus has no restrictions. So come to him by faith again. Draw near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, and you will be restored. 
you'll be restored to the time that you used to be. It, that, those times of joy, when you think back of it, you're like, oh, only I could have the joy of my salvation like that again. Friends, that's available to you. Turn to him again in faith. Do you need to be more serious about worship? Friends, this text speaks a lot to us about that. Think about the great privilege of God speaking to you through his word. And then, still further, the testimony of the Spirit within you, illuminating the words so that you might understand it with, with its fullness. Think about that. Treasure God who, who, who invites you to draw near to his thinking in his word. Maybe you need to draw closer to God. You've been kind of static for a while. Your prayer life is kind of in the doldrums. You, you, you're, you're living on the juice of yesteryear's worship. Friends, he hasn't moved. And our God desires for sinners to draw near, to do that. Ask him that you might experience him more personally, more intimately, more impacting you so that you might change your life in different ways. So many applications to this thing, friends. But God wants sinners to draw near. I trust you're convinced of that truth from this text. And with that, we'll turn to communion. Because it's at the cost of Jesus that we can draw near. And so, as the men would come forward, I would just ask you to, well, two things. First, the Lord's Supper is for born-again believers only. We don't want to make a mockery of, this is not just some empty ritual. This is communing with the, with, with the Lord who died for us. So if you haven't repented of your sins and placed your trust in him yet, then don't participate in this ordinance. It's not meant to be a punishment. We want to be real about our worship. But if that's you, listen carefully. Ask that God would open your eyes to him and your need for Jesus Christ. For the saints, I would just ask you to think about the cost of Jesus for you, you to be able to draw near to him. That's the, just the, the meditative thought I want you to focus on. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God and beckons sinners to come. So consider his worth as the elements are distributed. Thanks, Ben. You can, you can go ahead and pass them out. If you haven't celebrated communion with us before, you, there's two cups that are stacked. You want to twist them to get them apart.
grateful for the deacons, for John and Vaughn and Nathan. Thank you for distributing the elements. Jesus himself instituted this ordinance. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so we proclaim his death until he comes there is a retiring offering off to your right on the welcome center that's for the deacon fund so if you can contribute it for the needs of the needy, that's the way to do that. Stand and receive this benediction. Afterwards, we'll join together uh, for a meal in the gymnasium, followed by our quarterly members meeting. Um, we invite all to stay for, for the luncheon, even if you didn't plan, didn't know about a luncheon, you're welcome to, to stay with us. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.